It is 11.03, Dr. Payne Show back at it. And uh, what do you got going on, pal? How was the week? Well, Other than being a dad. <laughs> yes, being a dad. Congrats, being a new man. dad. Thank Congrats. you very much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you sleeping? No. Good. Perfect. No, no. Yeah. It's all it's on par. All the days are mixed in now. I don't know. It's totally. a Saturday, Friday, Wednesday. Whatever. It's all the same. And and because it's the weekend, I actually, my wife has been very good. So during the week, because I have to be at work, she's been taking the majority of the, mm-hmm. of the nighttime duties, obviously. But uh you know, she needs her rest too, so I did my part last night and I'm feeling it today. <laughs> but anyways. Man, oh man, oh man. Yeah. Brings yeah. back memories. I know, eh? Right. Anyways, moving on to health-related things, right. which I guess sleep is health-related. Um, so what are we talking about this week? Let's. There was one, one person that came to see me. Um, well, many people came to see me, but this person actually was wondering if I could talk about his, uh, oh, cool. his case, okay. and so I will. Um, so this person has had chronic low back pain for a very long time, 10 plus years. Um, it was originally related to various accidents that had happened and this has progressed and so on and so forth. Um, he's tried everything. Like, I mean, everything under the sun to try to get this pain better. So, um, he's got actual MRI findings and clinical findings where there's pressure on the L5 and S1 nerve root, um, creating pain in the leg. And it's, there you and I'm always he came to see me and and he said I I've I've recently seen a surgeon the surgeon is recommending surgery however they're saying it's a 50-50 shot that I will likely be better I'm always and and anyone that listens to the show and knows my outlook on this stuff knows that I'm always a fan of more conservative measures first to start with yeah he's done all the conservative measures wow. he's done it all he's exhausted it all there wasn't usually i can ask people have you tried this and it's like no i haven't really tried that like even to the point where he's done very good extensive rehabilitation um for a period of like six months and i and i look through what he did it was very good um and still no still relief wow. and you know i said to him i said you're you're likely that that few uh few percentage of the population that would benefit from surgery because number one a lot of people that come see me and want surgery or are considering it have so many problems that i've said before you don't know where you should start and where you should end this person actually had two very easily identifiable problems pressure on the left side of l5 and pressure on the left side of s1 so there were just two things and in removing those things likely a lot of his symptoms will clear up okay and so i basically said you know i don't like to recommend spine surgery but of course when it's needed that's my job and and i bring up this case number one because he wanted me to speak of it and number two because my job is not to tell people what they want to hear it's to tell them what they need to hear Okay. And, and that's what I do. And, and I'm, I'm very honest with people. I don't sugarcoat it. I just tell them the way it is. And he was very appreciative of that. Now, what I did do regardless was I did send him somewhere to do extensive rehabilitation. Again, I told him, do this, go see your surgeon, book the surgery. Maybe there's a chance that starting from scratch with the rehab, I sent him to a very good place um, that'll work through with him. The, the chiropractic college actually at Steeles and Leslie, um, I sent him there so that they would start from scratch and essentially like as if he was a baby, like how do you rehab this from day one? And I said, do that for a period of three months. Maybe there's a chance that this rehab works. Even in the event that there's a chance that it doesn't make you better and you have to go for the surgery, you're in better shape for the surgery than you would be if you didn't do these things. And that's a very important thing to realize that you should prehab. Exactly. A lot of the times, don't just negate, oh, I'm not going to do the physio, I'm not going to do this stuff, uh, because 
you know, I need the surgery and, and that's my eventual outcome. And so I'm not going to do that stuff because it's a waste. It's not a waste. It's not a waste at all. Um, I had another person. I actually, this wasn't a person I saw. This was a post that I saw uh, somewhere. It was a friend of mine through my wife's Facebook. And uh, he was saying that he, I guess he sustained a groin injury uh, through hockey. And he's seen a sports specialist. And the sports specialist said, there's nothing I can do for you. You need to go for therapy. And this person was going on on a rant about how that was the worst experience he had ever had. It's like, well, why is that the worst experience? Right. If, if, if a doctor is identifying that a problem is not something that they can fix surgically, and they're saying that what you need is physiotherapy or chiropractic or whatever, then they're making the recommendation that they believe is best. Why is that wrong? You know, and it, yeah. it just gets me where people think that they know more than the professionals that they're seeing. And I always believe that you should question things. You should, you should do your own research, but don't assume you know more. There's no way you looked on the internet for even three or four hours and no more than any professional that you're sure, dealing with. Of course. It just doesn't happen. And so when a doctor makes these recommendations, it's like people want to go somewhere and want the recommendation that they believe they need. And that's not their job. That's not the, why you go see a healthcare professional. It's so that they can make the recommendation that they believe you need. You can be part of the decision-making process and saying, well, I don't want to do that. So what are my other options? Sure. But if, if this doctor doesn't believe that surgery is the answer for a groin injury, which it's often not, and that the answer is physiotherapy, that's the best recommendation for that. And so um, it's very important that you follow the recommendations, you question them, but there are times when therapy is the right answer. There's times when surgery is the right answer, um, and there's a place for everything. And it's always about identifying the patient with the therapeutic intervention. That's when we have the best outcomes. I, I almost be inclined to thank that doctor saying good i don't have to quote unquote go under the knife i prefer I to try a therapy route i know but that's good you know news what? to me I, right? unfortunately a lot of it's it's sad to say but there's a lot of ignorance out there and you know i see it all the time where people say no oh, i talked to my mom's friend who did this and they said that that worked for their low back pain it's like the worst thing you can do is talk to your mom's friend about your low back pain your mom's friend doesn't know anything yeah. about what causes back pain the amount of different things that exist on how to diagnose to treat it, et cetera. It's just, don't do not do that. Go see the professionals. We'll take a short break, and uh, you can call in right now, ask your questions about pain, anything going on with you. We'd love to talk to you right till uh, about 12 o'clock, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Just getting revved up for another morning. Dr. Payne Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 11-12, lots of time for you to call in, ask your questions. This is a show to do a discomfort, pain, you want some answers, or at least get going down the right road. 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. Neil, uh, exactly. Good call calling in. How are you, pal? I'm great. How are you guys? Good, man. What's uh, what's your concern? Uh, well, back in 2014, I uh, had a torn rotator cuff from a roller grade. Uh, mm. Now, initially, I was going for therapy for the first two years. Uh, the pain keeps reoccurring, especially uh, in the winter time. It's, uh, I notice the pain more if I raise my arms above my shoulder or try to kind of, uh, you know, do full circles with my arms. But my question is, I mean, you know, Dr. Lou just talked about different expert opinions. Right. There are There is a, a doctor that's saying that I may need to look at, uh, uh, you know, quote-unquote going under the knife, yet there's other healthcare professionals that are telling me, it's just therapy, so it's kind of like a blurred line between what to believe and what not to believe. I and mean, of course, I looked on on the internet, but in no way don't want to self-diagnose what the next best course of action is. Right. Yeah, and it's it's a good question. It's going to be hard for me to tell you which is your which is the option you should take because I haven't assessed your shoulder. I haven't looked at it. But what I can say is that 
number one is trying to determine. So the problem with rotator cuff tears is that they're often told that to people that they have these tears, but they're not actually a result of the injury that they've sustained. Um, and so because a lot of tears in the rotator cuff muscle are just degenerative, which means they've happened over the years. And so it, it can just, be pre-existing. It's not that it's pre-existing. Well, it is pre-existing, but it's it was already there. It's just it's the tendon frays like a piece of rope. So imagine a piece of rope that's moving a bunch over 20, 30, 40 years. Right. Of course, that rope is going to fray a little bit. And so a lot of times when they look at the tendon, they see that fraying and they call that a tear. Right. And so the doctor relays that information back to the patient and says, oh, well, here's the here's the chronological order. You had a fall. We took an ultrasound. I see a tear. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's a traumatic tear, which is a very important thing to try to understand. Is this degenerative tearing that's happened over the years or is this a traumatic tear? So that's. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. Go ahead. I think this all happened. I'll just give you the start walking through what happened i was rollerblading and you know those rubber strips on the road where they covered the cracks yep. yep so thank goodness i was wearing protection including wrist guards when i had momentum and i fell forward so hard that all my weight went onto my arms which the wrist guard pr- protected any uh yep. any uh, breaks in my wrist but all that all that energy all that all that shock went to my shoulder which was supporting my fall yeah i'm i'm about 190 pounds yeah. Just picture but again, so I don't doubt that you had a traumatic incident. I just don't know because I'm not looking at your MRI and I'm not looking at you from a physical assessment. I don't know if it's a traumatic tear or if it was soft tissue injuries of another nature and you just happen to have partial tearing anyways. Right. And, and this is the part that needs to be identified in the beginning. The second part is, yes, you should always try therapy before you try surgery. Having said that, it depends what the therapy is. So I've seen a lot of people that say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've done therapy. And then you speak to them about what the therapy entailed. And it's like, that's almost as good as not doing therapy at all. And so therapy doesn't just mean doing anything that, you know, just slapping, you know, IFC pads on it or whatever. It's about rehabilitation and the proper protocols that are followed with these types of injuries. So although you're telling me you did two years of therapy, I don't know if it's two years of the right type of therapy. And there may very well be the chance that it's the wrong type of therapy. Um, If you've done the right type of therapy and there's still no... Um, uh, change that's happened and no improvement, then yeah, potentially surgery is an option. Now, the other thing is identifying, well, what does the surgeon want to do? What What is the outcome? Like, I mean, if you have a shoulder that dislocates, then yeah, having a surgical repair to shorten the tendons so that it doesn't uh, dislocate is a good idea. What well, I've often... Well, sorry? Yeah, what would you say in your opinion is because the pain really seems to be more exasperated in the winter, so... I, I don't I, I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm almost certain that there is a, a correlation between cold weather and uh, and the pain because it seems to be more prevalent on days like this where it's dry. Yeah. And cold so and day. that to me starts to suggest more chronic pain, arthritis, that type of stuff. And here's what I'll tell you: even if you had surgery, there's still going to be cold days, right? It doesn't change, and that's and that's often my point with those things. It's The one thing about surgery, surgery is very good if you're trying to fix function, right? So that's the example. If your shoulder was continually dislocating, which is a functional issue, you can go in there surgically, repair it, and it will help the function of it. Surgery is often not the best aspect or the best choice for pain management. 
And that's very, very important to understand. So, you know, if you want my opinion, Neil, I'm happy to give it to you. You can come see me at my office. Uh, we'll look at it. And that's really, you, you started this by saying that you, you're often unsure. That's a lot of what I do is just provide people with my opinion. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that I often tell people is when you're dealing with too many people and everyone's giving you a different opinion, it's very hard to know what to do, right? Because we're just, we're creatures that, you know, we become uncertain when we hear different opinions. That's that's human nature. Sometimes it's about putting your faith in the one person that really resonates with you, that makes the most sense, and you follow that piece of advice. And if I happen to be that person for you, then I would say follow my advice and, and come see me and let's see what we can do for it. Well, initially, when the, when the injury first happened, I was given painkillers, which I really, you know... Almost useless. We have a whole segment on how bad it is to take Percocets and things like that. Yeah, so, it does really know, nothing for the injury. definitely short-term. So yep. I'm trying to reserve surgery as a last option. The problem here is there's no sort of guarantee. If someone said to me, guaranteed if you do surgery, you know, it'll work. I would think about it, but I'm very. You never, you're ne- you never, you never ever will get that guarantee from anyone. That's exactly my whole point. Yeah, right? but it's not. But that's not. That's not the way it should work. The the way it should work is the, the probability and weighing risks versus benefits. Right. It's right. like anything else in life. There's no guarantees really almost in anything in life. It's really just based on probabilities and, and risk versus benefit analysis. Neil, appreciate the call. Want to uh, follow up? One eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U info at paincarecanada.com through email. I see you there, Rick. Hang on, we'll get to you after a break, and you have time as well, plenty of time to call through and to ask your questions just like that. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty. On your cell, Dr. Payne Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 1121, it is the Dr. Payne Show till 12 o'clock, 416, yeah, 870-6400, star 640 on cell. You want to reach out to info at paincarecanada.com as well. Rick, thank you for hanging on, fella. How are you? Hey, Rick. Rick. Rick, no home. All right. Rick's got a sprained ankle and yeah. some hearing problems. Maybe he's going through the drive through <laughs> If you are, Greg will take a venti emergency. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> so what else? Oh, yeah. Uh, my neck. There you yeah. go. X-ray. Done. Yeah, X-ray. So there were yeah. degenerative changes that happened. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in speaking with uh, uh, Adrian, who is the, the practitioner that you've been seeing, I think it's time that we get you a, a nerve conduction mm-hmm. study um, because I think maybe a lot of the issue is coming from the wrist. Um, you've also been working out a lot more in the last, what, year yeah. and a half, two years. Yeah. So that adds up, right? Putting pressure on the nerve, and you probably haven't discontinued that, uh, which I don't think you should, but I think it's time we get a nerve conduction. Like, this is yeah. the right protocol, right? Like, you've tried therapy now for, for a period of time with, yeah. I think you're getting temporary improvement, like you feel better after, but then it keeps coming back. It, yeah, it just keeps coming yeah. back. So. so that's good. So that means definitely it's it's musculoskeletal. Um, it's just a matter of figuring out, well, what's the long-term solution here? And I think at this point, you know, you got to do a nerve conduction because sometimes you do have entrapments that can't be changed through um, just simple therapy, right? Sometimes it's enough of, of an entrapment to uh, warrant something like surgery and opening up that fascia. Mm-hmm. So I think, and the nerve conduction will will be a very good um, uh, diagnostic measure for figuring that out. It won't be a good diagnostic measure if the problem is from your neck. So if that comes back and it's all good, um, then I think we got to do an MRI of your neck and see what's going but on it, there. But that's still good because it's narrowing down. What yes, the of course. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the whole point of the diagnostic process. So, you know, another, I had a person that called me, 
uh, probably two weeks ago, they had had abdominal pain, uh, very severe abdominal pain for about a month. In that month, they they went to the ER, obviously, the first time it happened. At the ER, they they did blood work, they did an ultrasound, they did a CAT scan, everything looked okay. Family doctor did some further testing, also sent for an MRI, mm-hmm. uh, and everything came back okay. It was referred to a GI specialist who did some more further testing. Now they're about to go for a colonoscopy. This person was so pissed off that they had no answers. And it's like, well, how fast do you think? The diagnostic yeah. process isn't something that necessarily happens over five minutes. Sometimes it could take months because all of these things, like the job of a healthcare professional is to rule out the, the most serious stuff and then work your way down. A lot of the specialists have already told her, it sounds like you have IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome, yep. which is very much, it's obvious, it's very much a problem, but it's a benign problem. It's right? inconsistent. It could be Correct. a drag. Yeah. yeah, but it's not life-threatening. That's right. So the people that have seen her up until this point in that first month are worried about, is this potentially something that's malignant? Is it threatening to her life? And we got to rule that stuff out. And they've done that. They've ruled out that this is nothing that you have to worry about of imminent danger to you, and it's likely something that's more lifestyle-related, stress-related. So that's good. So that's good. We'll and settle I, down. And so I said, so like, what are you <laughs> expecting? And 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 it's unfortunate because people have no patience for this, and they and they just yeah. assume that you're supposed to go somewhere and get an answer. Get a prescription that day. and walk out. Yeah, and it doesn't no. happen that way. The diagnostic no. process takes time. I mean, you're living through it right now with your neck. Yep. It's not always simple. Sometimes we can identify. Uh, a problem in one visit and two visits, but someone like you, this is this is a protocol that needs to be followed, steps that need to be followed in order to warrant further testing. The other thing is, we have a public system, so you can't be spending public dollars, uh, you know, on, on one patient and saying send them for everything. It's yeah. like certain tests are sent for when other tests are either normal or have a finding you investigate further. And that's the proper diagnostic uh, process that we have, and it's the right way to do things. Uh, Greg. Hey, pal. Good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you? Good, pal. What's up? Okay, so buckle up, Doc. I got a story for you. Sure. Uh, so about a year and two weeks ago, I sprained my ankle playing soccer. Okay. Uh, I sprained it uh, rolling it inwards rather than outwards. Sprained it um, rolling inwards. Okay, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, so I went to, and saw a Cairo. that was more sports-specific. Yep. And after about six or seven weeks of treatment, mostly uh, manual manipulation, some electroacupuncture, uh, nothing was helping. Mm-hmm. Um, so I saw a sports medicine doctor who uh, got an MRI and a CT for me. Yep. Uh, he ended up leaving the country for two months out of nowhere. Okay. Uh, so ne- never my, a good uh, sign. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to my family doctor, and she told me it was, quote, unquote, a non-issue and just to wait for him to get back. Okay. So when he came back, I saw him, and uh, he needed uh, surgery. It uh, ended up being an osteochondral lesion oh, on the table. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, but a small one at that. Yeah, and uh, and he can't find an ankle specialist. It's been about uh, three and a half months since he tried looking, and the only one he could find is a three-year wait list for surgery. So, so what did he say? So it's an osteochondral lesion of the talus. Of the talus, yeah, and there's a bone spur and scar tissue on the front of the ankle as well. So okay, let's let's go backwards here. So you rolled your ankle inward. So the majority of your pain was where on the outside of your foot or on the inside of your foot. On the outside of my foot. On the outside of your foot. But yet they're telling you that the lesion is an osteochondral lesion on the talus? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, so I think the, the passive therapy that you did is is good. But understanding one thing, so the most commonly torn ligament 
um, in the body is the ATFL, which is a ligament that essentially prevents that motion that you're describing that happened to you. Um, ligaments are designed to keep things stable and in place. A lot of times when you roll an ankle, although you might have an osteochondral lesion just by the trauma that happened, you probably also hurt other structures which are just affecting the stability of your knee. So one thing that needs to be done, and, and I don't know, it, so, it doesn't sound like it was done just based on what you've said so far, but you need to strengthen that ankle and you need to strengthen it with good rehabilitation, working on uneven surfaces. Um, and there's a very specific protocol that should be followed for ankle sprains of, of the nature that you're describing. Was that ever done with you? Yeah, see, I, uh, in that two months that the doctor went out of the country, I saw a, uh, an osteopath and a physio. Okay. And they both did the, the same thing. I both saw them for uh, five to six weeks each, and they mm -hmm. both did the same kind of things as the Cairo, and nothing was helping. So but at that, but point, it at that doesn't matter whether it was an osteopath, a physio, Cairo. Did anyone follow like proper rehabilitation? Like, were you going in and working on strength, working on balance? Never mind putting pads on you and manual therapy. I don't care about that stuff. Was anyone walking you through exercises, and then you're doing those exercises at home multiple times a day? Have you done any of that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, stability things, uh, um, jumping on those uh, the half balls. Okay, okay, so you have done that stuff, and none of that has worked? No. Okay, and so then the sports medicine doc is recommending that you see a specialist for what, potentially surgery? Yeah, and, okay. and uh, since the wait list was so long, I went to, I did my own research and found uh, an ankle specialist Yep. and asked my family doctor to refer me to him, mm -hmm. uh, but she said uh, that she doesn't think anybody would operate on it. So I got one doctor telling me to go see a surgeon. I got one doctor telling me not to. Well, sometimes a doctor saying go see a surgeon is also for the opinion. It's not necessarily for the surgery. It's it's They just happen to be a surgeon and they want that opinion. You know, the one thing I'd have to see is you're saying there's an osteochondral lesion, which just means that there's a problem where the bone in the cartilage is. So it's not specific, right? It's sort of like saying like, oh, you have a fever. Um, I'd have to kind of review and, and see what they suggest that osteochondral lesion might be due to. Um, so I think come see me. Um, we can take a look at it. And, and, you know, there's an ankle surgeon that works with me in my office. If need be, well, we can get their opinion. Greg, appreciate that. Philip, I see you there. Stand by. We will get to you and time for your phone calls as well. That's just how it works. So simple. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. More of the Dr. Payne Show is on the way. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 1132, Saturday morning, Dr. Payne Show, 416-870-6400, star 640. On your cell to call through. you got pain questions. Uh, bring them on. Philip, thank you for hanging on. How are you? I'm fine. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Uh, Dr. Lou, I have a question for yes. you. Uh, at least the last 10 years, at least, I've had this uh, uh, major pain on my tailbone. I believe it's... Uh, uh, what's called a polynatal cyst. Yep, yep. And okay. uh, <clears throat> my dad had it. Uh, uh, now I think I have it. It's I drive for a living. I drive a bus in Toronto, and uh, I work sometimes 14, 16 hours straight. Yeah. And when I do that and I don't get out of the seat for a couple hours, you're in pain. Uh, the next, the, oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm constantly in pain. Yeah, and, 100%. And it's like when you fall on your tailbone, that kind of pain. Yeah. Constantly. So my question to you is, I know I need to get this removed, yep. but the problem is, is I have type 2 diabetes, and I, I, it takes me a very, very long time to heal from a wound. Uh, I know that this has to be cut out of me. Yeah. So how dangerous is that for me to get this operation having the diabetes? I've done it. 
Yeah, but you don't yeah. have diabetes, and I think that's right. his worry. I mean, I mean, obviously having type two is your type two diabetes well controlled? It's controlled, yes. Yeah. So then, I mean, how how old are you? Uh, Fifty. And how how long have you had diabetes? Uh, I've been taking metformin probably I think for about a year. Okay. Yeah. So I mean. I don't think, I, I think, again, this is risk-benefit, right? Like, do you want to live the rest of your life with that type of pain? It's overall not a complicated surgery to take that nope. out. This isn't like they're, you know, going to pull your guts out on the table and go in and remove things. This is this is almost superficial. Um, and so I think it's probably worth to get it removed. Obviously, the surgeon will need to review your history and make sure they'll tr- they'll m- make sure to monitor your blood sugar um, after the the surgery and following the surgery. And then it's just about wound care. But if you provide the right wound care, although you heal slower than someone without diabetes, it doesn't mean you don't heal. So. Uh, I, I would tend to think that the the benefit sounds greater than the risk in this case. I had it done, Philip. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the thing is, uh, I'm going to probably get it done, but but not at the present moment. I'm going to have to wait a little bit. But some when I sit for a while and it gets infected, uh, blood comes out. Yep. Okay? Yeah, of course. And been there. So does, because that's been in my body for so long, can that affect me health-wise in, in, in any other way because of the infection? Well, wow. just concentrated to that area. Like, not know, well. Like, infections can spread, right? Like that's that, absolutely infections can spread. They often, in, in nowadays, they don't. But it's not impossible for an infection to spread. Like I, I know people that have had like cuts on their legs and they end up getting osteomyelitis, which is infection of the bones. Like it, it oh, is possible, okay. but it's it's rare. But I can't I can't sit here and tell you no. It's not. It can't go anywhere else. Um, can I ask you why you don't want to do it at the present moment? Because I really don't, I can't take that much time off work because uh, I sit all the time and uh, I, I can do it in about six months, but I can't do it right now. Okay. And uh, Well, I six months, ho- okay. I mean, I thought you meant like you were going to wait seven years or something like that. I, six no, I'm months, at I, my wit's end. I, yeah. I, can't, I can't take this uh, yeah. I can't take this anymore. But uh, if, um, uh, how long uh, would uh, somebody be in a case like for me? I drive for a living, so with an operation like this, what is it like two weeks, one week off? Or not sure, not sure. I, to, I mean, for me, it was this, the surgeon was good enough to have it done, and I didn't have to have any nurse home care come to change the dressing. You, I just you, took care of it myself. But I guess his concern is that he's a driver, right? Well, I was sitting. Yeah. I do radio, so yeah. I sit in a chair yeah. all day, and I had a donut, and you have yeah, padding, you're going to have so. to have the donut pillow and those things. But I mean, most simple surgeries like that do take typically, you know, four to five weeks to six weeks to heal. Um, so I, I would say that probably that's a good estimate. But you know, the important thing about a surgical consult, why you see a surgeon, is because they also assess you, the 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 person in front of them. Everyone's different, right? You can't say that everybody heals the same way. They will take into consideration all of your medical history and all of the findings that they see, and and tell you what they believe the uh, the recovery time will be like. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank okay, you. Good so luck. Very much. No problem. Thanks, Philip. Yeah. Get it done, man. Get it done. Yeah, 100%. I know it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's a drag. I know it's a drag to sit there. It's painful. It's yeah, like, and I mean, these are things that, again, this is this is the scenario where, like, is it worth living in pain to not go under the bleeding. knife? Like, yep. yeah, exactly, and bleeding and the infection and those things, It's I'd get it done. Yeah. 100%, I would get it done. I, I appreciate, though, his concern with the type 2 diabetes, which is good that he's cognizant of that, um, and that's an important thing to consider, but... 
again, this is this is why you have to control the the blood sugar and and they'll monitor all that stuff. They don't they don't not take that into consideration. It's funny you mentioned the surgical consult because when I first was diagnosed with that, the the first guy I saw said, you know what? Here's a, here's what I'm gonna have to do. Here's the incision. Here's how it works. You'll have a nurse come over for a couple of weeks. She'll change the door. I'm like, oh my god, this sounds <laughs> complete pain in the ass. And then literally. I went to literally, yeah. <laughs> and then I went to another surgeon at Etobicoke, and he's like, "Yeah, you know what? Eh, I think I can make it a smaller decision. You'll be okay. You can do it on your own. No nurse." I'm like, "Okay, yeah. you got the job." So he did it, and uh, he was right. I was okay. I yeah. just you changed the dressing myself. It yeah. was com- so much easier than what the first guy. Not yeah. scared me, but it told me it was going to. No, happen. it just makes it so. a little bit more of a process. It's harder. Yeah. There's more time management involved. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's never a bad thing to have a healthcare professional if you can get a nurse come look after those things. It's not a bad thing. You live in a good area because you're not far from the medical community. So, uh, but if you weren't, then maybe it's worth it. Also, you're healthier. Eh. Sort of. Sort of. Maybe, maybe not. 416-870-6400 star 640 is the the number to call through. Got plenty of time. Indeed, show must go on. We'll get to uh, more of the Dr. Payne show after a short break here. Global News Radio 640 Toronto. It is 11.40, plenty of time for you to uh, call in, ask your questions, you got pain, bring it on, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. There you go. PRP. Right. So, and, and the reason why I bring this up is because I'm getting a lot of calls about PRP, which is great. Good. Um, I had a person, uh, and, and, I, and I, again, I'm bringing this story up because I want to highlight how honest I am with this stuff. The PRP injection per injection is $750. Okay. I had a person that has bilateral knee pain come in. Um, I assessed them. It was very much a functional issue. This is nothing. There's no severe arthritis. There's no inflammation. PRP would not have been any benefit to this person. Okay. However, they were very interested and really wanted to do it. And I and I sat there and I said, well, why do you want to do it? And they said, well, because, you know, I've heard other people that have had this done in my age group and it's helped them. And I hear you on the radio and the and the surgeons that you bring on. And it seems to be very good. And I said, yeah, but it seems to be very good for a certain type for of pathology. Candidate. Yeah, a certain type of candidate. And you, unfortunately, are not that candidate. And I said, what is your goal? Like, is your goal just to get PRP is it, or, or is it to have your knees feel better? And And he said, well, I want my knees to feel better. I said, OK, well why don't you do some therapy and, and, and fix the functional issue? And he said, well, I don't have any benefit coverage. I said, yeah, but you don't, the PRP is not drop covered. Seven bills. No, he was going to drop 1500 because he wanted one in each. Damn. Name. And I said, and I said, Son. you don't need to do that because if you don't, those are, that's not covered by OHIP. It's not covered by insurance. So you don't have insurance for your ther- for therapy. You probably need much less than $1,500 right. and you can pay as you go. Right. Right, like you can might spend fifteen hundred dollars over the next five years of doing therapy if you do the right therapy. And once I put it into perspective for him like that, he was like, "Huh, okay." And 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 again, I'm bringing this up because I don't. How do I put this nicely? I don't like when people come to me with a desired outcome, with what they want. Right. Right. The job is to my my job. What I try to do is identify what candidate fits what treatment intervention because that's how you have the best prognostic outlook. And so. This person came in with the end in mind already. They already knew they wanted PRP, and it's like, yeah. no, it's round peg in a square hole, son. No, Make it work. It, yeah, I, I mean, you really want to do it, the, fine, yeah. but it's not going to work, right. and it's not going to provide you the relief that you need or the relief that you're looking for. And when there's much better options, and it's it's funny when you break things down for people, they have that aha moment where you know he sat there, and I was like, yeah, but you can spend 
$1,500 on therapy and paid as you go, you might only get to 300 bucks or right. 250 or 400, whatever. But in that scenario, you've saved a thousand bucks. And it was just, it was really, it was interesting to me because I get that a lot. I get a lot of people calling for the PRP and we do do a lot of the PRP, but if you're the right candidate. Yeah. And I mean, the only way for you to know is to call me or come see me, which is fine. I'm happy to talk to you about the, the what PRP is, how it works and all those things. But I really am not someone that will make a recommendation just because I'm talking about it on the radio. There's even people that, again, I don't recommend therapy because like the person I started with, surgery is the option. Um, so the, it, the goal shouldn't be the end in mind, like you shouldn't already have that in mind. And, and that's a problem with a lot of clinics out there that only work with a certain type of treatment intervention is that they're essentially selling that that's working for everything. So they already have the treatment, the end, the end treatment in mind when they're diagnosing the person, right? right? So you inherently will become biased by that. That's why I've created the model that I've created where we have all of the treatment, um, uh, uh, treatment things at our disposal so that I'm not inherently biased to saying, well, you should do therapy or you should do an injection or you should do surgery yeah. or you should do diet modification or you should do bracing. It's all there. So, so yeah, you didn't buy a machine. Now you got to pay for the machine. Yeah. So and I hear same... that a lot where uh, there's a lot of clinics out there that, yeah, there's a machine and the treatment intervention is that machine. <laughs> and it's like, you know what there's going to be recommended at the end, right? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. they're going to tell you, you need to do this at the end of this yeah. treatment and it should work. And it's, it's crazy because the other thing is a lot of these machines, we use a part of our treatment, right? Like we, we're not just a one-stop shop. If you see, uh, uh, anyone in my clinics, they're not just doing like, I mean, you've seen Adrian, who's a chiropractor, mm -hmm. but he's not just doing manipulation with you, right? right? He's doing uh, modalities, he's doing acupuncture, he's doing traditional trying manipulation, yeah. trying traction, trying uh, soft tissue therapies. There's a lot of things that are being done under the professional, and I think that's the, the right way to do things. And the thing is, you know, you know, had that guy gone through with the $1,500 in PRP, doesn't work, guess who's, guess who's, who's climbing over after that? Yeah, exactly. Get it big yeah, time. Yeah, and and that's why I'm honest with my recommendations is yeah. because I mean the worst thing you can can do is have an unhappy customer or patient, right? Because then then they're just sharing that with everybody. So you know, I I I think most people and and this person appreciated it as well. I think most people that see me really really appreciate my honesty with these things, and I'm not there um, to sell anything. It's just you're getting my opinion, and a lot of people. Are, are just doing the right things. And I mean, the outcomes are speaking for themselves. I, I have so far, I don't know, maybe they just haven't told me, but I haven't had anyone come back and say that they're unhappy with what I've suggested or that they didn't get better. And I mean, better is a relative term because some people can get 95% better depending yeah. on what's going on. And other people might only get 10 or 20% better, but those are the expectations that we outline when we're going through the plan of management with, uh, with the person, because not all people can expect Tremendous improvements, depending on what the issue is. A good example of that is something like severe spinal stenosis. When we're dealing with our spinal stenosis patients, we're not selling that you're going to be 100% better, that this will be like it never existed. No, absolutely not. We're just trying to get you better within reason so that you can live your life. A lot of times when we're dealing with very chronic issues, our big goal becomes how do we keep up, keep this person up with their activities of daily living? And more importantly, their activities of independent daily living. Right. And that's a big thing for that age group is that they need to to still have that independence and feel that independence um, for their health overall. That's very, very important. And so um, 
it, it very much, you know, but then someone might have sprained their ankle yesterday and they come in. Well, in those cases, you can almost expect 100% improvement. It's just about doing the right things and the right intervention. Update on the uh, the clinic. Some good news for those uh, living around the Brampton area, right? Yep, Brampton. So uh, Mississauga Road and Steeles. Um, you know, I have to be honest. I actually had quite a lot of calls this week um, because I spoke about this a few weeks ago and I didn't get back to those calls because of the, the baby situation. Yep. So I'm very, very sorry. I will make all those calls on Monday, but I did have a number of people call me and wanted more information about it. Um, as I was saying, that that clinic has uh, um, family practice, walk-in clinics, the rehab, uh, pharmacy, so all of your your needs. And, and again, I, I did have um, quite a number of people that called wanting information about that. I will get back to you. It's at 75 Montpellier, which is at the corner of Mississauga Road and Financial Drive, which is just north of Steeles. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great model of care. Our, uh, our new market office as well, uh, with all rehabilitation service and physiatry services, which is physical medicine rehabilitation. They're medical specialists that specialize in chronic pain issues. So uh, if you're up in new market and need rehab or um, specialty care for chronic pain issues, uh, again, give me a call. And also uh, a, a new office at Richmond Hill at Major Mack and Young uh, with our re- mainly rehabilitation uh, services like the chirophysio uh, massage. So uh, lots of things happening. There's a couple more in the works right now. So, you, you know, I've said over the years, there's we have a provider network so I can get someone to somewhere everywhere. But I have found the one thing about the provider network is these are people that or clinics or individuals that I trust. But I have I don't control these these clinics. I don't control pricing. Mm-hmm. I don't control what happens there. Right. So the biggest thing for me is I want to be able to really control um the quality of care that people are getting so I can be more certain in my recommendations. Now, my provider network is very good. All of the people in that network are very good. Uh, but as as this um, expands and I can expand my model of care, I will be looking to actually open up physical locations uh, that are owned and operated by me and my group so that we can control exactly what happens. So um, five locations right now that are owned and operated by me and my group uh, that we oversee uh, and a, probably about another three or four to come Excellent. this year uh, in different areas. Reach out to, to one of those anytime, one eight five 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 doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U, info at paincarecanada.com. Still a few minutes to go, so that means you have time to call in with any questions you have. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Dr. Payne Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. It is 11.52. Get right back to our phone calls. Love Everybody our listeners. waited for the last 10 minutes. I, they always do. They <laughs> okay, always let's do. get through them. Hey, Tony, how are you, pal? Not too bad. Um, I had spinal stenosis surgery back in uh, 2016. Okay, how old are you? Um, right now, I'm pushing uh, 50. 50, wow, that's young. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, what happened was um, my spinal cord was rubbing on my neck. Yep. And um, Oh, it was in your neck, the spinal stenosis, okay. Well, and then I have metal in my neck, right? Yeah, uh, I went to Toronto, so you know, got the surgery done, and then went to Toronto rehab. Yep, and then came out of there, and then did uh, out um, therapy as an outpatient. Yep, and then after that, you know, I had to do things on my own. But mm-hmm. I mean, my workplace shut down, right? So, okay. so what's your question, down. Tony? Okay, my question is, I'm getting tingling and stuff still down my legs, like you know, burning and all yep. that. Yeah, uh, so- anything you recommend? Well, I recommend you have to follow up. So the one thing about spinal stenosis is surgery is not a solution. It's a it's a management option. So what will happen is that area, it will continue to degenerate, right? So the, the osteophytes, the bone formation that was originally putting pressure on the nerve that were removed will come back. 
it, it's it's inevitable. That is what spinal stenosis is. It's a degenerative process. Mm-hmm. And just because you surgically intervene doesn't mean you've stopped the degenerative process. Yeah. You've just taken it back a little bit. So likely uh, you might be getting some of those uh, osteophytes and bone formation that was pushing on the spinal cord on the nerve coming back. So you need to do the follow-up MRIs to see the comparison to see where it's at. Yeah. Yep. Because I was doing that, and then the doctor says, you know, like the MRIs and all that. Then he says, well, I don't have to see you anymore, right? Mm, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, you need to be seen. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate the call. Moving on to uh, to Adam. Hey, Adam. Good morning. Yeah. Uh, hello. Hi. Hi. Um, okay, so a couple of years ago, I fell on my ankle, and um, I'm not... Uh, I don't remember the terms and the, the words that... Uh, but... Um, uh, the question is, uh, I followed some of the um, um, uh, exercises that the uh, hospitals gave uh, me, and uh, but I didn't follow through um, all the way. And um, after a couple of years now, it's still, um, you know, like... Not good. I'm walking, no problem, but it's still... Uh, no, well, of course you're going to have problems, Adam. You need to follow through with these things. They They don't just get better on their own, so... I mean, it's no surprise that you still have issues. Um, you, I see that you've asked the um, the screener, "Is it too late to to do treatment?" It's never too late. It's just now you have to now you have to gauge your expectations, right? So, whereas once upon a time you could have expected maybe ninety nine percent resolution of your problem, maybe today you might have to expect sixty percent resolution or less, or maybe more. I don't know. I have to assess you in order to see. But it's never too late to do anything. It's just a matter of of gauging expectations. The more you wait, yeah. The 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 what what I is still bigger than my left. Like my right is still bigger than my, my left ankle. Yep. You know, so yep. that, that bruising. You know. But your question is: Is it too late to do stuff for it right now? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So and that's what I'm telling you. It's not too late. It just again, you you might not get the results. That you would have gotten when, when if had you intervened when it first happened, but it's not yeah. too late. And the only way I could tell you what you should or should not be doing and what you should or should not expect is if you come see me for an assessment. All right. Okay. I'll, I'll, we'll do so then. Okay, Adam. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate that again. One eight five 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 five. Doctor Lou D R L O U. Info at paincarecanada.com. Michael. Hey, Michael. Good morning. Hey, good morning. I'll be quick, guys, because I know you guys don't have much time. Yeah, you're so okay. I'm calling, I'm calling about my dad, so I'm a little bit concerned about him. Uh, to go over it quickly, he has scoliosis and spinal stenosis. Yep. Um, and every, uh, for the last couple of years, every uh, few months, he goes for pain-relieving injections. Okay. Um, and um, over the last, like, a few months ago, he started taking CBD oil to try to help yep. uh, relief. So he, he found that it actually has been working. Good. But what's happened, um, what's been happening over the last few months, and this is why I'm more concerned, is because he's waking up in the middle of the night and he's unable to sleep because what's happening is when he sleeps at night, there's this kind of, um, he describes it as like an aching kind of pain going down the right side of his leg, kind of like in the thigh and behind. Okay. Um, and like hamstring, like thigh area on his right leg. And what happens is it wakes him up because it's like extremely painful. And the only thing that really makes it feel better is movement is when he, like he goes and he walks around at three in the morning right. for like 20 minutes and then he can fall back to sleep for like a couple hours. Yeah. And this is happening all the time. And I'm, I'm concerned because he's, he's not sleeping. Right. Um, 
throughout the night on a daily basis, basically. Got you. So I was just kind of wondering what you think it could be and what kind of what your suggestions would be going forward. Well, you've already told me that he has a scoliosis and spinal stenosis. So, I mean, if, assuming that that is correct, then we know what the problem is. Um, the question becomes, what do you do to manage it going forward? As I said to the previous caller, spinal stenosis is a degenerative process. And as as the spine degenerates more, there will be more and more pressure on the nerves. Now, it's also a positional thing, right? Because depending on the position you're in, you can create more pressure. But equally, depending on the position that you're in, you can relieve pressure. So right. what's important in these types of patients is identifying what positions relieve and what positions aggravate, and then modifying their lives to to follow those those recommendations. So a lot of times when I see a spinal stenosis patient, what I'm doing is telling them the things they should do and telling them the, the things that they should absolutely not do. Um, where it gets a little more complicated with your dad is the scoliosis because now there's a rotation and lateral component to the spine that we now have to maybe modify what would be the more traditional rules of spinal stenosis. So the traditional rule in spinal stenosis is that flexion is relieving and extension is aggravating. However, because I don't know the scoliosis where it's turned, all those things, it might be more than just simple flexion. It might be flexion and rotation a certain way that is more relieving. And maybe he's sleeping in such a way that he's in one of those poor postures versus one of those good postures. So I need to see your dad, essentially, Michael, in order to make um, the appropriate recommendation on what those functional positions would be uh, that would help you. Good way to end it. Thank him. you, Michael. Appreciate that. Reach out one eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U info at paincarecanada.com. We're back in a couple. It'll be next weekend or no, the week after. Pardon me, Doctor Pain Choke. Right back here on Global News Radio six forty Toronto.